Hello, and welcome to the Dark Material Podcast, where we cut through into the many worlds of his dark materials by Philip Pullman. Sometimes subtly, and sometimes not so much. From Semyon to Samovars, join us in this spoiler-free read-along journey into the dark. I'm Amy. And I'm Ian, and this week we're talking through Chapter 8 of The Amber Spyglass, Vodka. Vodka. Okay. Vodka. Uh, if you think you're going to get through this episode without, without me cracking out my terrible Russian accent, I mean it's glorious. At least fifty times. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll come to Russia. In Will due we? course. Will we? Mm. Yes. Uh, so, in the last chapter, though, yes, we follow Mary through the world of Chittagatsi, mm. where the spectres seem to be avoiding her, as if she has some power or is a kind of talisman against them. Just curious. She comes across a window into a new world, new to the reader and to Mary which is inhabited by strange beings and very, very large trees. Mm. As she explores, Mary sees the interconnectedness of this new world, with strange round seeds falling from these gigantic trees, being used as wheels by an intelligent group of animals that she meets who call themselves Mulefa. Or Mulefa. Or Mulefa. (laughs) After a first encounter where the Mulefa are clearly curious... Mary is encouraged to climb aboard, one of them, <laughs> and ride off with them down the lava roads that crisscross this strange landscape in this new world. Mm. And off she rides into the sunset off. for another chapter. She goes. Off because she goes. this chapter, we depart from Mary. But do you want to, yeah, do you want to talk us through the image that I made no notes about? Well, I talk you through. Or the poem as the well, poem, which I made no notes about. This time. Brilliant. Which is, I have been a stranger. In a strange land, which is from Exodus mm-hmm. of Bible fame. Mm-hmm. So, uh, not the other Exodus. No. <laughs> so this is what Moses says when he explains why he calls his first son Gershom or Gershon, which means a sojourner there or a stranger there in Hebrew. Uh, and it's not clear in the Bible where there is that this name is referring to hmm. um, because Moses is the son of a Hebrew woman who puts him in a basket in the river, then is adopted by the Pharaoh's wife and li- lives amongst their family and then flees for a land called Midian when the Pharaoh finds out that he murdered someone. So he's never really fit into any of those places or cultures, uh, not as an Egyptian because he's a Hebrew, not as a Hebrew because he's raised by the Pharaoh and not in Midian because he's not from there, basically. Mm-hmm. So I quite like that we get this quote here because Will is obviously in another weird world that he's he doesn't know. In a strange he's a stranger land. in a strange mm. land. But also, I guess the whole Moses story and the the deeper meaning of that particular phrase, a stranger not just as in, I have never been to this particular geographical place before, but mm-hmm. also not really feeling like you fit in anywhere. That is also Will in a lot of ways. Yes, that's, um, that's true. And he's also fleeing because he's murdered someone. So it, double, double parallels to Moses there. Mm-hmm. So I quite like this little Yes, quote. that's quite good. Yeah. Uh, and the drawing this week, Ian. Oh, you, you're like, you're well, I just don't something. know Bible stuff. So is there any analogy between Will and Moses? Presumably not. I don't think so. There's a different person, but we come to that later, so that's fine. Yes. Yes, mm. we will. Mm-hmm. Will. Uh, so the drawing this week actually reminds me of the drawing for the chapter A Outrance. Ah, it's basically Novelites. the same, isn't it? The, so it's basically an, an armoured bear's mm. helmet. 
Is it um, actually the same? I don't really compare the two. The top half is basically the same. Getting lazy. Yeah. Uh, though it's very unclear what these shards of stuff are at the bottom, so Ooh. we'll just ha- have to see. have to wait and see, basically. Uh-huh. So this chapter starts with a very, very sad line. Balthamos felt the death of Baruch the moment it happened. Mm. Oh no! Yeah, lest we forget, which I had. Yeah. Because the previous chapter kind of took over. Yeah. But, mm. It's bad. And we don't want to see grieving Balthamos. He's, well, it's just... It's tough for anyone, but, like, mm. he does not take it very well. What um, are the timelines here? Is Mary um, still in the past, relatively? She must be, right? Cause no. N- this is all present now. Oh, uh, yeah, because she was in Tritigatsi for a while, wasn't she? Yeah. Mm. It's just we missed, however, lo- yeah, whatever she was up to in Tritigatsi, mm-hmm. we just kind of got a FYI, this happened. Yeah. So do we think this is all contemporary? There's no like so. flashing back in time to Mary who now has to catch up or anything like that? No, no, I think I think this is more or less the They're same. They're running in parallel. Yeah. Uh-huh. So yeah, at this point in time, uh, so just as a reminder, Baruch died having delivered the message to Lord Asriel in the Adamant Tower in his fortress, hmm. but got injured on the way and therefore died. So Bathamus somehow feels that that happens, which is very interesting. Mm-hmm. There's some connection between them that he's able to know that that has happened. And uh, he's completely distraught, flying up into the air, crying with pain and anguish, sobbing. And Will's woken up uh, because it's the middle of the night. He's alarmed. He's got his knife in his hand, assuming there's danger about. But Bathamus takes some time to return and explain what has happened. And interestingly, when Will thinks... It's danger mm. that's causing this furore. His immediate response is to tell Bathamos to get behind him. Yeah. Which I guess makes sense, but it feels odd to see him protecting an angel. It does, I yeah. I just think it's a really interesting dynamic between the two of them. Yeah, I made the same note, and you just kind of forget, I guess, two things. I think this is supposed to be, look how brave Will is. Yeah. But equally, we know that angels are weaker than humans, mm. so... Will could kind of be a coward and this would still be the right thing to do. Sort of, but it's also Balthamos' personality, I mm-hmm. think. Yes, um, yeah. I think if it was Baruch and Will, I don't know what the dynamic would be there. I think Will would still want to be trying to protect Baruch. Mm. Yeah. But Baruch would be probably trying to do the same to him. You yes, know? sure. I think yeah, they're, yeah, yeah. they're yeah. more similar as characters. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Will tries to understand more from Balthamos about what's happened and how, how he knows and stuff. But all Balthamos says that... Quote, half his heart was extinguished. Mm. Oof, which is yeah. such a beautifully horrible way to put it. And I just want to read this small bit here about Balthamos's immediate reaction. He couldn't keep still. He flew up again, scouring the sky as if to seek out Baruch in this cloud or that, calling, crying, calling, and then he'd be overcome with guilt and fly down to urge Will to hide and keep quiet and promise to watch over him tirelessly. And then the pressure of his grief would crush him to the ground and he'd remember every instance of kindness and courage that Baruch had ever shown and there were thousands and he'd forgotten none of them and he'd cry that a nature so gracious could never be snuffed out and he'd soar into the skies again, casting about in every direction, reckless and wild and stricken, cursing the very air, the clouds, the stars. Oh, Mm. man. Yeah. This is such a vivid description of overwhelming grief. It's beautifully described and it shows lots of oddities about how it manifests in Balthamos' behaviour and the many shades of it rather than just 
he was a bit sad and cried a lot, which I feel like yeah, is the standard so. definition of of grief. But he's, you know, he's angry, he's confused, he's sad, he's guilty. It's just such a mixture and a melting pot of, of mm. things that are going on. And I, although I hate to read it, I really love this description. Yeah, basically. and like simultaneously, while these angels are thousands of years old and very wise and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Even kind of because of that, this death hits him incredibly hard. Yeah. Because he's not just had a human lifetime of grief mm. or memories and therefore the loss. Yeah. It's thousands of years of companionship. And this interesting thing about him being able to remember every moment of mm-hmm. kindness, that's a really interesting idea about having this almost superhuman perfect memory. Mm. That would be, yeah, a horrible thing at this point. Mm. Tricky, tricky, tricky. Mm. Uh, so all of this is happening in Lyra's world, in the tundra or plains of the north, so it's not really clear how long this goes on for, but at some point Will asks Balthamos to to come to him, and he obeys without any resistance, and Will tells it to him like it is, basically. It's dangerous. He needs to try and bottle it up for a bit, and not mm-hmm. he, he can't be making sounds, um, and if he's high up in the air, he's in danger, and Will can't use the knife to defend him. And if Bathamos dies as well, all their missions will be lost. Will doesn't mention all their missions exactly. He just says that he needs Bathamos to get Lyra. So, you know, the classic yeah, Will sure, thing. He's just one. kind of like, mm-hmm. I'm going to find Lyra if you do that. <laughs> Bathamos is kind of like, yeah, we do need to get the knife to Azrael and, you know, end this whole <laughs> war that everyone's... <laughs> anyway, but he finally says, this is Will saying to Bathamos, he finally says, Baruch was strong. Be strong too. Be like him for me. Hmm. Oh, well, low blow. It's a bit blackmail as well. Like, it's, yeah, emotional blackmail. Yeah, he's, he says as well that Baruch wouldn't want Balthamos to you know succumb to grief. Baruch yeah. would want you to blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So it's not just like, be like the person you love. It's also, he would sort of be ashamed of you. Yeah. He obviously doesn't say that. It's, re- it's really, it's really harsh. Up. Yeah. It's really fucked up. I don't think yeah. Will should be saying this. Uh, anyway, Bathamus absorbs this information for a while, considering, mm-hmm. so he's been like, well, that was a dick thing to say, Will. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but then he actually maybe has a, I don't know what he's weighing up in his mind, but he then agrees and says he will stand guard and watch over Will and stay with him quietly, mm. which, fair enough, but I do wonder what was going on through his head before that moment of yeah. like, Fuck you, Dick. you are a fucking child yeah, compared yeah, yeah, to me. Yeah. How dare you? And Will doesn't really have much choice but to trust him, so he goes back to sleep, which is tough. Uh, when and also he w- a classic way for Pullman to move the plot forward. <laughs> exactly. When he wakes up the next mor- morning, uh, Balthamos is still there and starts speaking as soon as he sees Will is awake. His whole vibe is very much, I've been awake all night thinking about this. Good, you're awake just a second. Here's all the information at once. You're welcome. Mm-hmm. It's very much kind of like, right, okay, you're ready. I'm ready. Good, let's go. Yeah. Doesn't even give him chance to be vaguely awake so he makes this very clear and decisive statement that's very impressive and i love the way that it's delivered it's all i shall do this and i shall do that it's decided so that's what will happen the gist of it is he'll stay with will and help him yes result tick uh not only that but he will do it willingly and cheerfully oh double tick that's good also just on the first one didn't realize anything else was an option no you can see will being like uh what i'm in (laughs) yeah Uh, one of the options here was you just fucking off okay (laughs) another option was will forcing him to say that uh, mm-hmm. against his will so you know these are all good um, and he then says that despite his thousands of years of experience quote I never met a nature that made me so ardent to do good or to be kind as Baruch did 
I failed so many times, but each time his goodness was there to redeem me. Now it's not. I shall have to try without it. Perhaps I shall fail from time to time, but I shall try all the same. Then Baruch would be proud of you, said Will, shivering. Hmm. Oh, Which is nice. That's, that's bringing it uh, back. That's better, Will. Less blackmail and yeah. more uh, sort of encouraging. Time for Balthamos mm-hmm. and Will's redemption arc. Mm-hmm. It's not a big redemption, as neither of them have done anything too bad so far. Just sure. not very good. They're not a very good team. <laughs> uh, but still, go them. Uh, so they set off, continuing their routine of Balthamos flying high to spy a good route through the marshy land. But he has another worry on his mind, one that he knows he should speak to Will about and warn him. But he's putting off as he doesn't want to worry him, which is such mm. a parent move. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're a parent, never don't tell your offspring something because you don't want to worry them. Just always tell them. Always sure. tell them. Yeah, yeah. Good life advice. Uh, but also definitely a theme for Balthamus' character. This is the second time that we've seen him doing this. Mm-hmm. It's kind of caring for Will, I suppose. Mm. But yeah. yeah, but there's also like probably not wanting to have a difficult conversation or yes. wanting to shelter people yes. too much. Mm. Anyway, I really hope that he tells Will soon, doesn't leave it too late, but it creates some good drama for us as readers uh, because basically he's worried because Metatron will not only have memorised Will's face, but can also see things about Will that other humans can't, things about his nature, like his demon, as Lyra would call it. And apparently this puts him in even more danger from Metatron, which... Uh, is interesting and strange to think about why this might be. So I found this bit slightly strange. Yeah. Because the implication here is that angels can see something about our true nature that other humans can't. Mm -hmm. But in Lyra's world, everyone has a demon out in the open. Mm -hmm. So did you read this as Metatron can see things about your demon beyond just its shape as an animal that tell you what someone's like? Does that make sense? Oh, I see what you mean. There's a difference between being able to say, oh, sense. you've got a dung beetle as a demon. Okay. And yeah. seeing the dung beetle and actually understanding what that means about someone's character. I prefer that interpretation because, to be honest, it doesn't make sense otherwise. Because no. then it's like, well, well, surely everyone in Lyra's world is just inherently more vulnerable. And that would be odd. Yeah. So, yeah, maybe it is something about their nature that they see in the demon rather than necessarily the form that it takes or any other... Mm-hmm. You know, relatively superficial detail. Well, being able to see the demon even in someone yeah. where the demon's hidden is like one example of this mm. insight that angels have mm. over people. Yeah. Don't know. Interesting. So I also thought um, in general it's just more information or intelligence gathering. So the more Metatron knows, the more he can use against them. Mm-hmm. But also on, on that note about Will's demon, mm. uh, this has always sort of confused me. But he's been in Lyra's world now for a night. Why can't he see his demon like his dad did when he moved over into Lyra's world? Shaman. That's what I kind of ended up at. Shamanness had to learn it. But didn't he didn't walk through the doorway and then suddenly an osprey flew out of his chest? That's kind of what he made hmm. it seem like it happened. Not being spoilery, but there's a bit later on that I think explains this. Potentially, I think there are theories that potentially explain this, but I always find it a bit interesting and strange mm-hmm. okay anyway mm-hmm. so they press on through the cold uh will shivering in his dad's cloak which is very lucky that he nabbed that um mm. because it must be absolutely freezing balthamos tells will a little later that there's a town ahead near a river with boats which might be able to get quicker passage on uh about half a day's walk away so mm. good news uh they'll pass through a village first on this path and will worries about language 
But Balthamus has a handy trick up his sleeve. He'll be posing as Will's demon, and he can translate for them as well. Apparently, he's confident he'll be able to understand what language they speak there. Multiverse, multilingual, apparently, which is a great skill to have. Well, after thousands of years, you'd hope you'd learn a few languages. Oh, yeah, you'd be racking um, up the multiverse Duolingo, yeah. I think. It reminds me a bit of... Um, yeah, you know, the thing in the Matrix where they just kind of upload a new copy. Of, oh yeah. Here's how you learn jujitsu. Here's you. You're now fluent in French. <laughs> like Barthamos just has this catalogue of yeah, eight hundred languages. Boom. Yeah, angels are just always in the Matrix. Mm-hmm. That's exactly how it works. That is how it works. Oh god. He knows jujitsu well. Great analogy. <laughs> Uh, so having allayed Will's fears, though, I guess, about languages, Barthamos and Will kind of walk on then. Uh, Will's kind of slow and trudging, and he comes across this small village. And as he walks through it, there are reindeer kind of penned in and evidence of a recent flood. So, like, mm. mud is sort of smeared across the walls outside, you know, at a clear sort of tide line. Yeah. It, doesn't, it feels like a kind of bleak place. The reindeer oh, yeah. are really skinny and scabby, haven't eaten much. The dogs yeah. that he comes across are, uh, uh, again, really hungry and a bit mangy. mangy yeah. And I, I just had a pause at this point of like, where is he? Which is yeah. what I meant when you said Russia before, like, or, or vodka. vodka. <laughs> I, we, we kind of assume this is Siberia because he's got to be on way en route to the Himalayas. Mm. So, yeah, I assume that's where he is. Yeah, me too. Somewhere in general Siberianist. I mean, when, when he comes across this town, it is given a name, but then... Uh, well, I'll come on to that in a second. Yeah. But it's still unclear from the name of that town where exactly he is, yeah, how I, far... Yeah, I, I have so. confusing geography questions hmm. that we'll come on to later, so... Yes, all right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's, <laughs> Don't worry let's about get it. to those in a second. So this village, in addition to kind of being uh, clearly a bit run down and subject to a flood and everything else, mm. has also seemingly suffered an earthquake, because as Will walks along, he feels as if he's drunk or like the uh, world's off, off kilter. Yeah. Um, because all the buildings are tilted as if the whole earth has, you know, been... Moved about by an earthquake or something. Oh man, so weird. Yeah. I mentioned the skinny dogs, and when they start really like coming at Will, presumably just to scare him away, um, Balthamos takes the form of a fake demon dog and sort of bucks at them and keeps them you know, at arm's length. Cute. Good teamwork, guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Further down the road, then, three men appear, not particularly friendly looking, and they all have dog demons too. Which I had to kind of pause on again, because didn't we learn in the first book that this is a sign of like a servant? Oh yeah, I think so, but it depends on. Um, I guess it depends on like the culture that you were uh, presumably brought up in, and the at type the point of dog. Which your demon settles. It's like if you've got a Chihuahua demon, that's got to be different to like a Husky demon. Because surely it depends on like whatever cultural values you think, think you hold with the dog. at the point mm-hmm. of your demon settling. Unless there's the idea that dogs are just universally quite submissive. But in any case, I just found, found that was curious because it feels, <laughs> feels to me a little bit like Pullman's moved away from the very simple, you have a cat, you're kind of a, a rule breaker, you have yeah. a bird, you're curious and intelligent, you have a yeah. tortoise, you're lazy and vegetarian. I, you know, <laughs> I think he seems I think he's more like, oh, move. don't worry about it, don't worry, they've got animals, don't, yeah, don't yeah, worry yeah, about exactly. it, gloss over the details. Yeah. So Balthamos then advises Will to, quote, keep moving, don't look them in the eye, keep your head down. That's the respectful thing to do. Mm. So I feel like Will would know this. Yeah. Given things that come come up later in the chapter. But nonetheless, these men don't look particularly friendly and Will kind of uses his witch powers (laughs) to make himself inconspicuous and 
pseudo invisible. Activating stealth mode. Exactly. <laughs> and the men lose interest, uh, and he's he can basically pass through this little village uh, en route to the main town they're heading for. Mm. As he continues, though, a priest calls to him uh, from across the road. He's a large, grey-bearded man wearing a, co- a cassock. Which, a cassock. A, a cassock. A cassock. <laughs> uh, which, yeah, I, I paused over here because I've heard the word, but never bothered to actually look it up before. And it's one of those long, kind of ankle-length robes or, like, tunics, gowns that lots of priests wear. Uh, it's a cassock, Amy. Yeah. Or a cassock. Uh <laughs> But yeah, in my head, the main people that wear this kind of thing from my Google image search is the kind of Orthodox Eastern Church Christians, mm. long black, kind of Russian. Uh, yeah. So it's very in keeping with the area that we think Will's in, mm. if my memory or my uh, stereotype of who wears a cassock is right. Yeah. Yes. He has a crow for a demon. So is he a bit like the Master of Jordan Light? That's what I am <laughs> kind of interpreting it. Uh, and his, quote, restless eyes move over Will's face and body, taking everything in. Mm. And thus begins the beginning of kind of, how creepy is this guy? Oh, Which we will have a debate well, about, I'm sure. there's an answer to that question. But it starts view. on the creepy side. Because it's not just, you know, his eyes move over Will's face. And, you know, like, with intense curiosity or intense uh, investigation or something like that. It's the fact that they rove over his body as well that make me go, hmm, okay, first sign of creepyisms. To play devil's advocate, Will might be wearing slightly weird clothes to him. Could be. Could be. But he said, it says body, not doesn't clothes. doesn't say that, yeah. So. Anyway. Balthamos advises Will to bow and be courteous, I guess because you can't disrespect the priest, or maybe that would get Will into hot water. Yeah. And the priest goes on to ask Will where he's come from. Will basically replies in English, obviously, so he picks a language here, saying that he is also from England, which... Is interesting because through the rest of this interaction as a priest, Will's surprisingly like honest. Yeah. In a way, there are a few little lies uh, around the edges, or sort of, yeah, where where there needs to be. But the actual details of I'm from England. I've been travelling for several days. Um, mm. I'm looking for family. Not quite true, but looking for someone rather mm. than eh, I'm backpacking, <laughs> or whatever he might have said. It, Will's Will's strangely true to the truth. Yeah. True to the truth. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. He uses the truth as a valuable crutch to mm-hmm. kind of like lie around. Lie, yeah, confidently. Cover. The priest is really excited by uh, the fact that he's from England uh, and welcomes Will to uh, th- this little village called Kolodnoya, which I think is how oh, it's pronounced. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, I would have said Kolodnoya, but I think Kolodnoya is probably right. Yeah. Kolodnoya. Kolodnoya. I think that's what's in the audiobook, or at least that came to mind. And this is a real town in our world, on the western edge of Russia. Is it? Not far from the Ukrainian border. And it's a tiny, tiny little place. So, well, it is. You can Google Maps (laughs) it. Well, I Google Maps it, Ian. Well. I found several places called Kolodnir. Oh. It's not just one. Oh, damn, I went, I dove in deep. Mine just defaulted me. And I was like, I'll take it. Because there is the one in the west. Yeah. And then I was like. That's that's not not the right place. That's not near a river. That was my next note, Amy. It's not and near then a I river. found one that was right near a river, but it's mm. more central. Just uh, from memory, I'll post the link to where I think it is. In yes. But slightly north and west of Nov- Novosibirsk. Yes. Which sort of was, I was like, ah, oh, but looks like the right. Sure, that, that looks okay. like the right area. Yeah, 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 yeah. But then I have further geography questions. Oh dear. If I can do an in-chapter spoiler. Okay. Because later on in the chapter. 
we see a map that shows them in this village and town near a river, mm-hmm. and that river just goes all the way to the Himalayas. Yeah. That doesn't fucking exist. Well, doesn't it? No. Well, no, it doesn't. It doesn't but, fucking exist but, yet. But later on... Because you got Novosibirsk, <laughs> Altai Mountains, Gobi Desert... Hanging, hanging Gardens, Gardens Babylon, Babylon, and Himalayas. Then <laughs> yeah. So I... That's an idea, our joke for anyone who <laughs> obscurely remembers that. But yeah, I don't know. I there's there's no rivers running north from the Himalayas. So there are. Are there? But I don't right. know. Right, I'm I'm getting no, our world map way, that's that's whoa, whoa, whoa. to the because I had poured over this map. Oh, is that why it had been moved? Yeah. Well, that's not going to have anything like enough detail on it. No, but I Google I Google maps of rivers of the world. Okay, listeners, I've brought a giant map to the podcast. We actually have five maps in this room. I've brought one of them. So where where do you think we are? Well, I think we're... This is going to be great listening. (laughs) I think we're somewhere here. Right. North of Krasnoyarsk. Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, north of Mongolia and Kazakhstan. And there are plenty of rivers. They don't... No, admittedly, they don't fly... They don't flow from the Himalaya. Yeah. That's that's No, no, no. That's my point. That's my point. Because how do you get from the Himalaya... Yeah, through a desert. Through a desert, and then through another mountain range, the Altai Mountains, to then get into Russia. You don't? Yeah, you don't. No. Pullman, trash this trilogy right now. (laughs) Unacceptable. No, it's fine, Um, obviously, but but I got really confused. Yeah, I had a look at what rivers I thought they were, but uh, I came up with the Irritish, all back to the famous Yenisei. Oh, I thought it might be the Ob River because the, one the, of the Irtish is a tributary of the Ob. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, we yeah. And it Look goes uh, slightly further south, Amy. So because one of the the Kolodnoye. Yeah. How did you pronounce it? Kolodnoye. Kolodnoye that I found near Novosibirsk is near the Ob River. Okay. So that would make sense. Oh, that would probably be it then. All right, let's go with that one. Gobi Desert in the way. Yeah. Well, you know, it's just. Yeah, Gobi a, Desert doesn't. What's a little Gobi Desert between friends, Amy? In Lyra's <laughs> no, <world>. exactly. Um, <laughs> so yeah, Will introduces himself by name then. So uh, saying that he's going south, he's lost his family, and he's trying to find them again. The priest puts an arm around Will and offers him refreshment inside his home. He pulls him inside, Ian. Mm, creepy point creepy number point two. two. The crow is particularly interested in Balthamos because creepy point number three. <laughs> no, probably because like the crow is kind of going, you're not. Yeah, no, I think it's more that. And yeah, Balthamos being quite quick thinking here turns into a mouse and then hides in Will's pocket so that he can't be interrogated more by a demon that might suss it out. And can I just say what a dynamic duo these two are, considering how dismissive Balthamos yeah, about, yeah. was about being a demon. He's playing the part very well. Absolutely. And the fact that they just didn't really get on and Balthamos has yeah. been quite haughty and uh, yeah, yeah un- unhelpful so far. The priest, the priest then introduces himself. So his name is Odietz Semyon. Although Yetz is really a title, mm. so a bit like uh, Fra, when we met Fra Pavel. Yeah. Um, and it means father in the same way that Fardacorum and Fra Pavel and all these other things. Pullman seems to like finding these father... Father figures uh, all over an- the place. So, antonym, mm. pretonym, firstonym, nametonym. <laughs> um, yeah, so he's a priest of the Holy Church. His actual surname then is Borisovich, son of Boris, his father. So, uh, yeah, his name is Semyon Borisovich. Simon Borison. <laughs> Simon Boris. Borison. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. In a kind of... I, I, this whole section, I did make a little side note. It's kind of good 
etymology or I'm not sure what category of language study this would fall under. But it's a bit irrelevant to the story. And I feel like this is just Pullman going, oh, isn't it cool how Russian names are constructed? <laughs> because Will explains that his father's name is John. And Semyon, the priest, comes back to him then saying that, ah, well, John in Russian is Ivan. So you would be Will Ivanovich, son of Ivan, brackets, John, first name Will. And you're like, cool story. Let's move on now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he clearly just loves, he just thinks this is a good dinner party chat, doesn't he? Yeah, 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 yeah. like, yeah. what a fun fact. Yeah, exactly. You can tell if there were five other people in the room, he'd be like, and what was your father's yeah, name? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so anyway, we, we kind of get a, a little bit of background to the priest and Will's being fairly honest about where he's from, who he is, as they go into the house, I think, mm-hmm. of the priest. Creepy point number three. Mm. As he's guiding Will into a chair, he strokes his arm. Cool. That's good. Just, you know, keep tally on the yep, points. Yep, yep, yep. So he asks Will again for details about why he's here. And Will gives a vague story about his dad being a soldier, exploring in the Arctic, getting lost and needing to travel south. Again, good basis of facts, Will. I like mm-hmm. it. Very, very uh, nicely done. Yeah, that's the bit that was actually that made yeah. me think that he's very honest yeah. in general. Yeah. So Otyets Semyon is keen to know more, saying flatteringly, that no one so interesting as a soldier or an explorer has travelled to this small village in centuries, which mm. is surely exactly the kind of person who would go to the small village is like sh- soldiers and explorers, but you know, still. Um, oh, I didn't. I read that as just kind of. Uh, it might be genuine, but it might be like, yeah. oh, come on, you've had some interesting. Places. No, I thought it was more. Yeah, this place is a bit shit, but rather right. than flattery. Yeah, but anyway, yeah. It's, yeah, it's sort of flattery that it's Will to be like, mm. oh, you're fascinating. Mm-hmm. So he says that Will is welcome and must stay the night with him here and eat with him. And he calls out, Lydia Alexandrovna. And an elderly woman <laughs> quietly comes in and says, what the hell was that accent, Amy? <laughs> and listens to some words from Zemyun in Russian. And then gives Will some bilberry tea with a small mm. saucer of conserve to sweeten it. Just quickly, to elongate the whole Russian name construction. Yeah. Alexandrovna? Does Drovna mean daughter of... Yeah. Cool. Like it. Uh, (laughs) I wish Pullman had written that out explicitly. (laughs) Yeah. So he gets some tea from the little samovar, which is like a hot water kettle to make tea in that's used a lot in Russia, but also in many other areas of the world where there's a big tea culture. So Iran, Kashmir, Turkey, India, all those Mm -hmm. places use samovars quite a lot. Also, there is a, a writer named Lydia Alexandrovna. Might just be completely random, but... If they were inspiration for this character, the full name was Lydia Alexandrovna de Pashkov. Wrote mostly in French. She seemed to have a really fascinating life. She was born in 1845 and wrote a load of travel logs as well as other stuff. And she travelled around loads of interesting places like Africa and Middle East and Europe. She's known about all her writings have been studied because of her friendship with someone called Helena Petrovna Blavatsky, who she travelled with. And she's one of the main founders of Theosophy, which is a really interesting religion or new religious movement, I guess you would call these mm. days, in uh, America. That's basically like the forefather of New Age, and it's kind of like a melting pot of all of these ideas, but also borrows a lot from like South Asian religions like Buddhism and Hinduism. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's very interesting. But anyway. Mm-hmm. So Will sips the tea, but it's both bitter and sickly at the same time, oh, which the is the grossest yeah. idea and very impressive to make something so disgusting. Mm-hmm. Um, and whilst he's sipping, Semyon is described as holding Will's hand to check he's warm enough, mm. looking closely at him, stroking his knee. Creepy point four and five. Yeah, I just, I don't 
It's the like, knees. It's the knee that clinches knee. it for me. Because up until this point, you're like, friendly fathery figure, maybe a bit Might overly... Might be a touchy, feely person. Yeah, could just be in that kind of, uh, yeah, protective, mm. fatherish way, maybe. It's a fucking boring town. He just wants to look out for a kid. Can't go touching the knee. No. Knee's too far. Knee's too far. Yeah. Yeah. So Will tries to distract him by asking why all the buildings are wonky, and he explains that there was a great convulsion of the earth and fog came and everything changed. Mm. So more repercussions from Asriel then. Even the great river flowing through the town flowed the wrong way for a few weeks, Mm. which is really cool. But also, this does happen. Yes. Which is great. Way more often than I thought on the scale of geological time quite frequently, but you know, human time. Uh, What, from, from earthquakes and shit? From earthquakes and stuff. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Didn't know that. So there's uh, like some differences when rivers change direction permanently because landscapes change over kind of like geolo- geological time. Yeah. So the Amazon used to flow the other way, but then like the mountains change shape and like mm-hmm. the basin change shape and then it started flowing the other way. Mm. Um, but it also can happen because of hurricanes or earthquakes or other extreme weather events. Mm-hmm. So one river that seems to have flowed backwards three times in all of history uh, that we know of is the Mississippi River. Uh, So two in recent memory. So one after Hurricane Katrina in 2005 and another time after Hurricane Isaac in 2012. Mm. And in the last case, it ran the wrong way for a whole 24 hours and faster than the normal flow of the river because so much water Mm. was dumped um, after the hurricane that it was just forcing the whole river to go the wrong way. Wow. Like because of the surge from... The hurricane, the which is amazing. Yeah. So that's not because it's going to sound really stupid, but that's not because big waves force water back up the estuary. It's just so much water is dumped in the basin at one point; it has to go somewhere, and uphill is almost quicker than downhill. Um, no, I think it sometimes than... it is. I don't know exactly the mm. reasoning behind it, but it sometimes in that particular case, it was because of the bay having so much water in that it yeah. forced it the wrong way. Wowzers! So, yeah. Mm. So, I should also say briefly, yeah. when the priest is talking through all of this, he refers to the Apocalypse of St. John, mm-hmm. which I had a quick dig into, because when he's talking about all this stuff, the Great Convulsion, the river slowing backwards, fog covering the land, the earth yeah. shaking, all that stuff, uh, he's like, this is just like what St. John said. <laughs> um, so I had a quick read through some of the Book of Revelation. And oh, did you? That was some light, light reading. Uh, well, yeah. I didn't get very far. Cheery. But I did find a couple of interesting nuggets. Yeah. So apparently the book of Revelation is unlikely to have actually been written by one person. Oh, that's interesting. Don't know where the sources are, don't know how reliable all that is, but yada yada. I guess the people that study the style and rhythm of text and stuff Mm -hmm. are pretty confident that that's not one person. Right. So you've got an assemblage potentially of contributors. cool. How do they know? And even if it is someone, or if there was a lead author, the John that it's normally accredited to Mm. is very unlikely that it's St. John the Epistate. So there is a John at the time that it was written ah. who it seems to be, I don't know, it would fit that that person would have written the book of Revelation or been a lead author in an assemblage of works. But that's not St. John. So the Revelation according to St. John is not written by St. John and it's not even written by a John. Well, <laughs> or if it is, it's a group of people and John's just the lead. Well, what a revelation, Ian. Well, I know. Oh, terrible. <laughs> uh, so anyway, that, that, was, that was some interesting kind of backdrops to the Book of Revelation. I was like, oh, I didn't know any of that. Yeah. Also, it's a fucking batshit crazy read. Um, <laughs> it's just, there's just mad shit. So in one version that uh, that I read, th- there's there's this like 
encouragement. Well, no. So one third of the stars will go out, one third of the sun's light, and one third of everyone will die. Something like that. Right. It's just odd that it's all in thirds. Okay. For the first bit. That's more just like... Half of the number of the beast? Maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, 666. But, yeah. um, <laughs> but the strangest bit was like, hey, everyone, let's wash our robes in lamb, lamb's blood. That's good. That's how you wash yourself free of sin. Oh. And it's a really strange, like, throwaway line that I tried to do a bit more digging on. And it seems like other variants of the Bible just skip out the washing it in lamb's blood. <laughs> people were like, like, no, no one's going to buy into that. No, 100%. We're not going to get this lamb's blood thing off the ground. Yep. Uh, Clive, so that was a terrible the idea. The other translations are all just kind of, wash your clothes good. And clothes <laughs> is supposed to then be a metaphor for other shit. And you're like, oh, okay, fine. So now we're not yeah. doing literal interpretation. You may as well just say, be good, don't do shit things. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Ian's, Ian's, Ian's translation of the Bible. <laughs> Ian's Bible rant over, uh, but it's a it's a weird old book revelation, mm. full of all sorts of random shit and obviously apocalyptic imagery and yeah things like that. Well, I that's that's really I did not know any of that. Well, that's you're very interesting. welcome. Thanks, Ian. Um, I did look into the whole like is because to me it reads like when he mentions it. Like he's saying, well, river's running backwards, that's in yeah, the Apocalypse yeah. of St. John. Oh, no, I, I, I searched for that as well. And the seven or eight times that rivers are mentioned, it's not in there at all. No, it's not in there. He's talking, talking crap. So I don't know what yeah. version he's reading. Yeah. And well, the, maybe he's reading the original with the lamb's blood washing. Oh, maybe. Maybe, maybe, maybe. I did say that the rivers and seas turn to blood. But they don't run backwards. They don't though. run backwards. So Still going the same mm, way. Nitpicking. Bullshit. Yeah. So... Father Semyon seemed to think that if all these things had been the same for, as he says, thousands and thousands of years, ever since the authority of God, the Almighty Father, created the earth, then it must be the sign of the end of days, which is kind of... You definitely understand his reasoning here. Mm -hmm. And this is really bad news for any anti-magisterium folk, because this is a great rallying cry for the magisterium to get troops to sign up. Oh, If you think about it, you'd have thousands maybe even millions of people galvanized by this with the right clever messaging so yeah, this yeah, is yeah. a real shot in the foot for mm. lord asriel i mean if we're talking across like multiple worlds maybe it won't make that much of a difference but then again if he's disrupted multiple worlds he did cause all the spectres, spectres mm. to come out into tagatse somehow or mm. it seems like that all happened at the same no, time all sort of fog. so if you had like a magisterium that were able to galvanize the right messaging there then they'd get loads of troops Mm-hmm. So basically, that that could be bad news. Yep. Um, or it could be good news in terms of like, hey, everything's gone to shit. The Magisterium have been in power all this time. Kill them. <laughs> uh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> so Father Semyon asks Will where he was when it all happened. But Will brushes him off quite deftly, just saying that he got caught in a load of fog, so didn't know what was happening before re-diverting attention. And he's very good at this. It reminds me so much of Lyra. Mm. And I wonder as well if he's reminding himself a little bit of Lyra as well. Mm. Um, mm. I do like this. It makes him feel quite familiar to us as readers, though I do miss having some proper Lyra time. She's been asleep for eight chapters now, Ian. This is unacceptable. <laughs> She's not been in this book yet, really. Or not in non-italicized things. So, yeah, Will asks for more details about where they are, and Father Semyon shows him on a map. Central Siberia. Deepest, darkest, most central Siberia. And L- Will looks at the Himalayas marked on the map, but he can't see anything that resembles Baruch's map that he drew on the ground, which is not great. And there's a river between those two things, which is... You can clearly is... see an excellent river. The best river. What is it, geography? <laughs> 
So shortly they have some dinner of beetroot soup and black bread, which is my ideal dinner, in case you're oh, wondering. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Father sent me on Earthy. the whole time, pressing Will for details about his life, his family, and Will all the time distracting and avoiding. I just think... Uh, I, to add, like, a sort of tangential creepiness mm. to this bit, part of me is exactly... Yeah, he could just be a creepy guy, right? Yeah. Or he could be a creepy predator. And he could be like, are people going to be looking for you if you mm. just disappear right now? Oh, that's an interesting is he a cult? Is he a cult level of mm. pre-calculated creep? Or is he just, like, an opportunistic creep like Boreal? <laughs> Oh, weird. We're talking boreal yeah, creep, yeah, yeah. we're talking culta creep. That's... I think less well planned if he is trying to abduct her. Sure, but... Be my... Yeah. 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 But anyway. Mm. The narrator tells us this distraction is all very easy for Will, as he is, quote, a practice dissembler, which I would love to have on my Great CV. job title. Yeah. Great job title. Yeah. And after the revelation of Laconic, I looked this up because I was like, I think I know what this means. What but dissembler? No, I'm not sure. Yeah, I didn't look it so up. So I mm. thought that it meant someone who's good at distracting or moving the conversation on a bit like the verbal equivalent of sleight of hand basically yeah um i don't know what 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 do you think it means before Uh, dictionary definition i don't know i actually guess i thought it was more like liar in a Mm, way as mm, in like mm. dissembling the truth or deconstructing things yeah i thought it was about something like that yeah 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 yeah. there's definitely a construction element to it for me i don't know Mm. why but it sort of is that, but it's more about someone who claims to believe something that they don't in order to hide their true thoughts or feelings. Okay. Which right. is a mm. nuance that I didn't have, mm-hmm. really. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a bit more like being a pretender or to feign something yeah. Um, yeah. for your own advantage, mm. which is really interesting. Okay, I'm not sense, sure yeah. it makes sense. I guess it just means liar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Father Semyon tries to interest Will in playing some cards or to talk to pass the time. This is only lunchtime, bear in mind, and he wants him to stay all day and then stay over. So, so, that, that's so fucking random. It's so random. You must stay and play cards. What, for nine hours? Fuck, dude. I, yeah, I sort of get that aspect of, like, mm. if you are in the middle of nowhere, you have a different tradition of hospitality. I suppose it's what like, else do you do? But yeah. yeah, and you yeah. he knows that he's on a long journey. But he wants to mm. just, you know, give him some food and good rest. Sure. And penis. <laughs> Ian. (laughs) So Will politely explains that he doesn't know how to play cards and he really wants to get going, anxious to find his family. He asks about the town and if there are boats there that he can get, but at mention of the town, the father's face darkens and he crosses Mm. himself. Oh. Oh, this is an awkward moment. Good reaction, right? (laughs) Yeah, and like the reason the reason for that is that apparently Alexandrovna's sister has heard tales of bears travelling upriver. Um Bears with armor. Oh. So this is interesting. A confluence, if you like, Amy. Yeah. A, a merging of rivers. <laughs> <laughs> and the priest is then kind of suspicious a little bit at Will's reaction to that. So he's asked about the village further on. And I think at the sound of bears, Will either is excited or maybe his face yeah. lights up a little bit. or He has a positive reaction. Yeah. We don't hear what it is, but no, it's but that's that not good. Yeah. Um, and at this point, Balthamos warns Will to be very careful so suppressing his excitement, Will explains that they were a long way from Svalbard and that the bears had been caught up in their own affairs when he was supposedly traveling with yeah. his family. When the priest actually asks, you know, what, do you not know about these bears? Have you not yeah, come yeah, across yeah. this? Um, he's a bit suspicious that maybe he's on the exactly. bear's side or something. Or he's certainly not trustful of Will at mm-hmm. this point. Um, so Will lies his way through that and basically says he has no idea. Bears? He knows, uh, yeah. he knows of the bears, oh, of course, but what the hell? That's strange. <laughs> um, 
And apparently the bears are trying to refuel their boat, having come south. So this harks back to the whole conversation that Yurik had with Serafina. Yeah. That the ice is melting in the north, so their intention was to go to these high mountains where uh, snow persists all year. And th- this presumably is the bears enacting this plan. But the priest's reaction to this, and I'll kind of read this whole section, is really interesting. Mm. Many stereotype, much discussion to follow. Oh, yeah. So, of the people in the village, quote, They are afraid of the bears, and so they should be. They are children of the devil. All things from the north are devilish, like the witches, daughters of evil. The church should have put them to death many years ago. Witches have nothing to do with them, Wilovanovich. You hear me? You know what they will do when you come to the right age? They will try to seduce you. They will use all the soft cunning and deceitful ways they have, their flesh, their soft skin, their sweet voices, and they will take your seed. You know what I mean by that? They will drain you and leave you hollow. They will take your future, your children that are to come, and leave you nothing. They should be put to death. Everyone. Mm. So, there's a lot there, isn't there? So, the first bit uh, of just everything from the north is evil, I think is a very interesting almost twist in a sense if you remember like from book one all the egyptians and their fears of the north and alkynans and all these rumors of evil things the breathless ones and spirits and bad shit yeah that's up in the north clearly then that like fear of the other continues into central siberia so even this guy who's in what we might consider Sort of the north. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or a north in a general sense of it gets cold there. And he's not. And um, he's like, this isn't the real north. No. The real north, that's where the bad shit is. And he's got the same fear of these evil and kind of otherworldly beings. Mm. And again, everything's everything's bad. It's a dark place full of horrors uh, kind of reaction. And then with the witches, very churchy. It's like, yeah. take that general fear, add the layer of misogyny from the church, oh, especially... Yeah. And be like, yeah, witches, they're the worst ones, because women. Mm-hmm. Which is super great for everyone involved. Uh, so terrible. Yeah. It's so terrible. So <laughs> on here, there's a very interesting bit of a book called The Idea of North by Peter Davidson. Mm-hmm. Which covers various cultural, historical, and other perceptions of the North as a place or concept across different times and geographies and cultures and stuff. Mm. And in there, he talks about this idea that the North is the source of evil, so... That happens across loads of different traditions and cultures. So, for example, in Norse tradition, many thought that hell was northwards. And um, in Christian traditions, Lucifer and his throne is also placed at the north in many different texts. Mm. Again, like mm. Asriel just saying. And there's loads <laughs> of other examples given from other cultures. In English and Scottish ballads, the monsters are often from the Northlands. And in the ancient Chinese texts, the mountain sea classics, the Northlands are the home of ghosts and demons. Mm. There's also... a a concept in certain other traditions, I can't remember exactly where, but it's mentioned in that book, of the North as a female thing. Right. So the North being inherently female as a cold place. And if you think about the trope of, like, the Ice Queen, mm-hmm. which just seems to be a thing, but also, I'm trying to think of one particular example, I think Yin of Yin and Yang is female and cold. Mm. So there is a kind of... um yeah, a relation as well between, like, not only there being devilish things in mm, his words, mm. like, all the devilish things come from the North, mm. but also this idea of, like, female devilish cold things. Um, yeah, interesting. Really... That kind of goes both ways, though. I was kind of thinking, oh, right, what well, maybe as opposed to the kind of 
fire and aggression that you might say, well, that's more masculine. But then equally, yeah, you've got I'm this sure. trope of yeah. fiery, angry, overly emotional, etc., etc. women. Yeah, people apply whatever generic badness to generic women. badness in whatever <laughs> structures they think are applicable. So I don't know. It all Freak. breaks down at a certain point. And there's also, um, we've mentioned it before in relation to the witches, but we'll link again to Lowe's article about the Skrogsra in Sweden, which is a creature from the folklore of Sweden who are linked to the devil and often described or portrayed as seductresses. Hmm. So just a small quote from Lowe's article or essay. His sentiments, meaning the priests in this particular quote, are also similar to how the Skrogsia were seen as someone who might bring illness and emasculate her male lovers. So mm-hmm. I think there's a direct parallel. Um, we have mentioned as well, before we mentioned this essay, that it's a spoilery article. But at this point in our reading... It's no longer spoilery. It's no longer spoilery, mm. apart from one tiny spoiler for the Secret Commonwealth, but it's literally just, there is this thing in this place. Mentioned yeah, in the yeah, yeah. It's it's so minor. Mm-hmm. So if you're okay with that level of spoiler, then please do read it because it's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I don't know. I think the whole you know, this whole passage it plays into so many hypocrisies, stereotypes, and unfounded fears, and all that stuff. Mm. So we obviously, as readers at this point, we aren't hearing about the evils of the North as ignorant people like we no. might have been in northern lights when yes. you first hear about the, the the demons and spirits in the north from the gyptians mm. we've met witches now we know they're not like this they may be beautiful but they're not just kind of wicked seductresses yeah and it, it it's interesting i just find that putting it into the mouth of this priest makes it all the more kind of pathetic and superstitious and ill-informed mm. unworldly and it's quite a good way of Pullman undermining this character. Yeah. Because at this point, we know how baseless it all is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and he just comes across like he's spouting dog- dogma. Yeah, as well exactly. as being bigoted and yes, prejudiced. Yes, yes, exactly. He's just spouting dogma. Yeah, and, and violent, then, you know, violent, hypocritical dogma yeah. at that, because it's yeah. let's put them all to death, even though, you know, yeah. the, the whole Christian thing of love thy neighbour and be not yeah. a shitbag. He's talking about a literal that, that's from, witch hunt. <laughs> That's yeah. also from one of the Gospels of according to Ian. <laughs> Um, only do good things, try not to do bad things, and then don't be a shitbag. It's yeah. the book two of Ian's revelation. I mean, revelations. some say don't be a shitbag. It's kind of not really needed to <laughs> don't do bad things. No, but... no, no, but it's, it's reinforcing the point. <laughs> you can do good things in a shitbag way, I suppose. Yeah, wash thine robes such that thy may not be iron shitbag. <laughs> uh, yeah, and then the, the final layer of it's all about sex and it's all about losing virility and the ability to have children. Oh, this guy. It, it, yeah. Again, it's got that kind of tinge of male obsession about sex, but then also demonise it, but then also blame women. It's all bad. The kind of sex or seduction aspect to everything he's criticising here and that he's fearful of later is very hypocritical when he talks about, you know, the uh, vodka that's made between him and Alexandrovna. Yeah. Where he's like, oh, this is the only place where we lie together in this bottle. Ha ha ha, no, no, drink, wink, sex. I really want sex. Give me sex. But not that witch sex. That's bad and evil. Anyway, Mm. all big hypocrisy. Religion's bad. Not a new favorite character, (laughs) many will say. So Simeon then insists on Will taking some vodka. So Lightening the mood with some underage drinking. Exactly. So if Will is going to leave, then he insists that you at least have your drink before you do. Vodka. Now, in a... Positive spin yeah. from the character for the first okay. time ever. Okay. He says, you are young, so not too much, <laughs> but you do need to experience these things at some point. You need to try spirits. Uh, right. Which is wisdom and guiding and nice. To be mm-hmm. fair, coming from any other character, 
this could be seen as fatherly if he wasn't forcing the Voltron will, and if it wasn't like, oh, for fuck's sake, just let me leave. You could imagine this being maybe something that John Farrow Fardacorum might do. Um, Will is 12. Oh, that's fine. Maybe don't give him a shot of vodka. It's fine. Half a dram. In just the a wee, just a little wee it's dram, dram to dram get there, you going, it? Amy. Uh, I don't know. I, I thought this bit was like starting to move away ever so slightly from this guy being a 100% through and through creep and more to just bigoted, over-friendly. Mm. He may have the pedo vibes, but where he seems, at least in my view, to back off a little bit here is kind of, okay, if you're going to leave, fuck it, fine. Um, but here's something that you should experience as a growing man. There's a taste of vodka. Mm. I'm not saying it's good. I'm just Maybe. saying this is not as terrible as everything else he's done. But, I mean, yeah, I guess at this point he does know that he's leaving, so maybe it's fine. But in my head, it's like, if Will wasn't leaving, how drunk would he get him? Oh, sure. I mean? Oh, yeah, maybe. Do you know what mm, I mean? That's there's, true. There's that. Yes. But then he knows that he's leaving now, so sort of what's the point other than to be like... Maybe a bit this of hospitality, but you should do as a 12-year-old. Give yeah. all the 12-year-olds around here a little bit of vodka or something. Yeah, oh, it's, it's fine. So it's just a pick-me-up, in it? Uh, <sighs> cool. This guy is great. Uh, so, yes. Then you get the whole line about uh, this is a vodka that they've distilled themselves. And it's the only place where Simeon and Alexandrovna lie together. Will insists politely that he has to leave and three so shrugs and agrees, but presses one glass into Will's hand uh, nonetheless. And then you get these really interesting like series of descriptions. So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna read each one in turn. In his fat, dirty fingers, the glass he held out seemed tiny. It was brimming with clear spirit, and Will could smell the heady tang of the drink, and the stale sweat, and the food stains on the man's cassock, and he felt sick before he began. Yep. This guy is really quite gross. Mm. Like, physically, and yeah, anyway. Vapours of tobacco and alcohol and sweat came powerfully from him, and he was close enough for his thick beard wagging up and down to brush Will's face. Will held his breath. Which is super gross. Mm -hmm. And that's him, I guess, leaning forward, grabbing Will's shoulder, chinking the two glasses together, and then... Well, he does um, a whole, like, prayer. Yes, yes, yes. He does a whole prayer yes, as yes. well, which is just over the top. Yes, absolutely. Um, and then he downs his uh, drink in one, and then Will basically has to hold his breath and try and drink. Uh, like the brave drink little own. child warrior that he mm -hmm. is. And it's super gross. Um <sighs> So having having drunk the vodka, he obviously feels quite sick, but there's one more ordeal in store for Will. Because then Semyon Borisovich was hugging him tightly, kissing his cheeks right, left, and right again. Will felt Balthalmos dig tiny claws into his shoulder and kept still. His head was swimming, his stomach lurching, but he didn't move. So yeah, Will's just kind of having to like grit his teeth and hold his breath and just like close his eyes through this whole mess of this gross man. God, I wonder what yeah. Balthamos is thinking about this at the moment. I bet he's like, this guy This is guy sucks. Worst. He should just appear in Angel Fall. <laughs> oh, can you like, imagine that? would be so good. <laughs> Witches are amazing. <laughs> you suck. Uh, anyway. So a couple of things just to pick up on here. So the way this whole thing is written about how physically we're supposed to just... He's not made to be appealing, but also... The smell, I feel like mm. when Philip Pullman doesn't want us to like a character, he tells them how he tells us how they smell. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, it really reminds me of the, the chapter with Joffa Ragnarsson and mm -hmm. going through his palace. Definitely. It's just all got a similar vibe, and I really like that. But also, there's a particular phrase in there where 
Well, uh, actually, sorry, just also Charles um, Latram, you know, the, yes, yeah, the yeah, scent yeah, the smells rotting. sweet, but sort of decaying. and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just after Father Semyon has downed his bit of vodka, he encourages Will with, quote, a threatening heartiness. And I don't know why I find that particularly upsetting or unnerving or horrible mm. as a turn of phrase. It's like, it's not, it's not being aggressive or nasty or rude or anything. It's just that like intense version of peer pressure, but from a yeah, yeah. total stranger. And also being overbearing, yeah. but in a friendly way that means you almost can't yes. take offense as the recipient. Yeah. If you, like take, if you offense, take umbrage with it, you're the one that's you're being, the one a dick. Who's being a dick. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And also, I looked up, so you know, people might be knocking on our door at any point now, Ian, with warnings or saying sorry, you're on some kind of list now. But I looked up first of all, all right. how strong homemade vodka was, and then also how strong alcohol affects children. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> That's good. Someone will be knocking. Can, can we see? Do you have a basement here? Uh, <laughs> so we're probably mm. talking about like 30 to 40% proof for this vodka, I would guess. Is that is that because there's like an upper limit on how strong you can make it in your own home? Pretty much, yeah. Right. But also for a child this young, their tolerance is so, so, so much lower, kind of obviously. And this is based on a pediatric pediatrics paper that I found which was looking at limits for children oh, before you just would think, love to see that study what yeah, is this I don't exactly know what the methodology was but mm. anyway so one of their conclusions was that for children ages 9 to 13 which is the age range Will is in mm-hmm. broadly if they have what they call five standard drinks within two hours they would be two to three times over the legal limit for an adult so we're talking about like five pints basically. oh that would get me fucked that's the thing right but I'm like, so, so, yeah. uh, so bear in mind, most adults are used to drinking. So if you were a teetotaler and you went out and drank to exactly the legal limit, mm. that would still not be a good idea. Yes. Um, and I yeah, think yeah. that is approximately, well, th- this shot, I think, is about approximately one and a half standard drinks by their measure. Right. So quite mm. strong. Mm-hmm. Cool. <laughs> Thanks for the uh, child's drunkenness Creepy scale. Facts. That's good. Yeah. Um, I looked up one final thing on this section because we are about to leave the priest. And that thing. Uh, That's good. And basically, uh, as I was, I can't remember how I came across this. But anyway, there's an interesting article. Yeah. By uh, Marek Ozywicz, which uh, we'll link to in the show name. notes. I know, right? I've probably completely butchered the pronunciation there. But yeah, it's on basically the representations of Eastern Europe in uh, Philip Pullman and John Stroud's Bartimius trilogy. And oh, yeah. uh, in Harry Potter, uh, J.K. Rowling, basically looking at how, how are Eastern European peoples and the Eastern Europe itself portrayed, which I thought was really interesting because this priest character does play into a ton of stereotypes mm. for, well, I guess, yeah, probably from a British perspective or certainly Western literature of Eastern Europe as a bit alien, very much rundown and poor. People are either kind of black haired, greasy, overweight and smoking, vodka drinking, you know rough types is yeah. the general stereotype yeah, or I think yeah, when yeah. we were talking about this before you also said and on the other hand there's the really rich olig- oligarch yeah. who's corrupt and basically got their wealth through oil but they're still <laughs> blackhead and greasy because but they're still blackhead and greasy like that's um, the unifying factor was it Eagle Karkaroff in, yeah, in yeah, Harry yeah, Potter yeah. and I just I just think that's that is interesting because none of the people that Will comes across in this journey in this part of the world hmm. are good like nice upstanding helpful well dressed or well kept yeah. proud Honest, blah blah blah, which I think is kind of a shame. I yeah, do get the point. People the po- are just people. Yeah, and, and I know the point here isn't to be like, 
Look what a friendly environment. Will is in yeah, no yeah, danger. Yeah. That's not the point. There's a story to tell here and there's a sense of danger that Pullman obviously wants to get across. He's a stranger in a strange land. He is. But yeah, I just found that article kind of interesting, so we'll link to it in the show notes. But also, I do think this priest plays into a lot of those very stereotypical, either Eastern European or Russian or even Central Asian, almost like still barbarian or slightly Hunnic. Right, yeah, 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 yeah. Or, you know, Genghis Khan kind of Mongol uh, stereotypes of barbaric and a bit underdeveloped, unkindly, savage, etc., etc., etc. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is interesting, and I think... I think this could be read as a bit of a stranger in a stere- in a stereotyped land rather than in a strange land. Mm. Uh, I don't think it verges into like xenophobic levels of stereotype. No, but no. Yeah, it's certainly not a good portrayal, and no. I, I I don't know if it's accurate, but I yeah. Well, he only meets one person, really. Yeah, exactly. Point, yeah, so. I wouldn't extrapolate too far from it. Yeah, and that essay goes into more representations, but uh, yeah. yeah. So he does then finally. Like, leaves. Get the fuck out! <laughs> um, and the chapter skips after Will's been um, walking for a couple of hours down the road from this small village towards the town on the uh, side of the river. He's got headache from the vodka, and Balthamos at one point stops him and lays cool hands on his head. So I can nice. only imagine. I'm going to assume that's, like, super soothing. Oh. You know, angelic hands, and you're just... So good. so good. Will's got his first little baby hangover and he's got mm-hmm. a little an- hangover angel with him. Yes, yeah. That's perfect. Excellent. Here's, here's my hangover angel top tip. You mm-hmm. know, in old-timey cartoons where you see people with a hangover and they've got like a big bag of ice on their head. Yeah. Actually put a cold flannel on your head if you have a headache. It's honestly the best thing. Amy, <laughs> I don't think... You're saying that as if it's a huge revelation. It's a I, revelation uh, to me. Because I was okay. like, why are they doing that in the cartoons? That's really weird. How yeah, cartoony. no, no, no. It's super nice. But it's really nice. It, uh, pro tip as well. Put the, Put the um, face towel in the freezer. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's good as well. Yeah. Excellent. Good. Well, imparting wisdom <laughs> left, right and centre. <laughs> so he continues though. Will moves on and finds the town on the banks of a massive wide river that looks more like a sea because of its breadth. And you can hear in the sort of distance of the village, or the town, the sounds of gunshots and there's smoke rising away off. So something's afoot. Something's um, escalated. People are staring out of windows in the upper floors, looking anxiously towards the docks. Um, and as Will arrives and the dust and smoke clear, as he kind of approaches the actual bank of the river, he sees a group of people with guns defending one large gun, a kind mm. of cannon, which is shooting a boat in the river. And this boat is crewed by great white bears covered in armour. Yes! Yay! Armoured bears! Um, Panzer Bjorn! Panzer Bjorn! So the bears launch uh, after receiving some shots from these people. So the bears are being provoked here. You know, yeah. Their boat is still in the river. Yeah, They're oh, being kept away from the bank. 100% on the bear side. Uh, they're yeah. being shot at. And eventually, in retaliation, the bears set up one of their fire hurlers... Which we learn about in book one. Yeah. But I don't think we actually see used. I think. On a, uh, do we? Against the Zeppelins, maybe? Yes. Right at the end. Yes, yeah. you're, you're right. Yeah, yeah. So the big arm, uh, a bit like a trebuchet or a yeah. catapult. Uh, and we had that whole discussion. We True. Did. Uh, so they set one of these things up on a boat, fill it full of the fiery you know, ball of uh, pitch or whatever it's got in it, and basically fling a huge burning fireball at this big gun. And that basically disables it, or at least it causes everyone around this gun to scatter. And the boat then starts to slowly move towards the shore with the bears, you know, clearly wanting to disembark. So 
shit Great for the time town people. to arrive in the village mm-hmm. slash town. Good timing, Will. So Will asks a man nearby who's described as looking like a teacher. Yeah, I have such, from that I have such a clear impression. Tweed jacket, glasses, short black hair, teacher. I just went, also tweed jacket. Yeah. Books under one arm. Oh yeah. Apple in the other. Nice. 100p. (laughs) Which is obviously not the case. Blackboard to his left. Yeah. Um, so Will asks this person what's going on. Thankfully, this person does speak English, so Will's gut reaction about if they're looking like a teacher it wasn't completely off. He tells Will that the bears are attacking them and they are trying to fight back. Well, yeah, could mm-hmm. kind of tell that. And just as he's talking, another huge blob of flaming pitch from the fo- fire hurler is thrown and lands near the gun, actually hitting the ammo of the gun this time and causing the men to leap back. So the gun is out of action at this point. 1-0 to the bears, mm-hmm. I think. Um, the boat brings its head round to dock and the many people cry out in alarm. They can see the fire hurler is alight again on the deck, but the bears don't throw it. Crucially, so they don't throw it. encouraging to see. So these bears yeah. aren't really fighting for the sake of it, don't really want to harm the people if they can avoid it, perhaps. Yeah. A couple of sailors jump down from the boat to put ropes around some bollards. So they do have human sailors um, with them. They're not crewing. What, why are you booing? No, it's what the Oh, that's good. what the don't, oh. I was going to say, stop being a dick. Stop being a dick here. So much like Ian, boo. they're like, oh, boo, you traitors. Boo, bad human. Which is really nice. We don't like you. And as the sailors turn to get back on board, someone with a rifle fires on them and one of the sailors is killed. Mm. Come on. Not cool. Pullman specifically says this guy's back was turned. Yeah. So townspeople, minus don't one. Don't shoot a person in the back. Mm-hmm. This really pisses the bears off. Oh, yeah. Because they're like, honour! Yes. That's what they do. That's what um, they do. There's a whole change in the nature of the fight now. This is dishonourable. That's not going to go down well. They shoot their fire hurler again and fire rains down everywhere. Yeah. Which is so cool, but You've also a bit much. Poked the bear. Um, <laughs> and then a huge bear, bigger than any of the others, appears on the gangplank and roars in fury. <sighs> Bullets scattering off his armour, not making a mark. I wonder who that might be. We'll find out maybe uh, later. We definitely don't know Stuart Burnison <laughs> at this point. <laughs> Will asks why the bears are attacking. I love how he's just like casually trying to have a conversation. <laughs> like no one's really running. This does not seem like a spectator sport. Yeah. I would not be hanging around. Um, but he asks why the bears are attacking and the teacher says, oh, they just want some fuel. They're trying to migrate and move their kingdom south, further down river. But the townspeople don't deal with bears. And he calls them pirates, robbers. And the large bear and several others are moving down the gangplank and the men on the wharf are readying their gun again. It's plain now. This is going to be a proper, it's gonna get vicious yeah. fight. Why? The people are dicks, aren't they? Oh, yeah. So you got creepy pedo priests. they're priest. all just indoctrinated like the, the priests. They're yep. all just like, bears are evil. Very prejudiced. Other people. All the stuff from the north is bad. We don't trust it. You're yeah. not even refueling here. Get the, get the fuck. Little insular backward town. Mm-hmm. Where's their cosmopolitan society? Exactly. You'd think they'd be used to trade coming down the river and That's interacting with think. different people. Yeah, because you've got the bamboo bears. They have people coming you've down got, from the Himalayas all the time. Yeah, you've got the... apparently the river goes there. You've got the... What do they have in the Himalayas? You've got the yak that can talk. Uh, and armored, armored snow leopards. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. you got the... Uh, what do the yak do? Oh, they, the can, yak they come cheese. down and the yak give, cheese give traders. some yak butter and mm-hmm. yak cheese. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a bit like... Human selling felt? like breast milk cheese. That makes so, felt. Yeah, they maybe? make felt. That's it. That's what they do. Yeah. No, Himalayan pink rock salt. That's what you actually Yeah. Trade. Oh, yep. we'll be all over that salt. Yep. Anyway. <laughs> oh, these guys are stupid. 
So just, just as Will's like, well, things are getting bad here, an idea comes to him, and thinking no more about it whatsoever, blaming the vodka, mm. he runs out, stands between the gunners and the bears, and shouts, stop, stop fighting, let me speak to the bear. Now, who does this remind you of, Ian? Anyone? Anyone at all? Anyone in Trollicent? Maybe a little girl in Trollicent? Oh, that's... Running out. That's a reference, To stop a it? certain bear. Yeah. In a certain fight. In yeah. between bears and humans. With some other prejudice type people who are dicks. With some other prejudice type people who are dicks. Who also like vodka? Who also like spirits. Spirits from Linus and the Bar. Yeah. Yeah. And also very churchy. Cool beans. Yeah, yeah. bad times. That's a nice little analogy. I didn't catch that at all. Mm. Mm. I am great. Well. Mm. <laughs> and it's weird, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. I guess Will knows that story maybe. from Lyra. Yeah, maybe. So maybe he's inspired by Lyra. But anyway, he know. goes for it. Um, everyone is completely quiet and shocked by this mad and clearly stupid act. But they both stop. Though both parties are bristling with fury, especially mm. the terrifyingly large bear. Uh, we get, quote, his great claws dug into the ground and his black eyes glowed with rage under the iron helmet. Mm-hmm. And he speaks to Will, asking him who he is, what he wants, the people around listening and translating. More specifically... Sorry to call knew, you out. I knew you were going to want to. But he says, what are you? What oh, do you want? Does Not he? Not who are you. What are you? Oh, I didn't notice that. Which is interesting. And <gasps> Do you think he sees that he doesn't have a demon? Possibly. I think he the may Beth also just, just kind of interpret this behavior as so inhuman. Nah, he's used to Lyra. Yeah, but as in <laughs> like, oh, you're one like her. I just thought that phrase was really interesting. He asks, what are you? What do you want? Not mm. who are you? I like... I, I missed that completely. Mm. I like my um, interpretation that it's because he knows that yeah. Balthamus isn't a real demon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that too. Yeah, but, well. Yeah, strange. You brought it up, I made it better, Ian. <laughs> That's what we do. Brilliant. <laughs> so Will does something very bold. He says he wants to fight the bear in single combat. And if he wins, no more fighting. Now, hmm. that's an idea. Not a good idea, not a bad no. idea. It's it's an idea. It's, it's highly thing, interesting. It's the thing that's been said. But it's clear he's got a trick up his sleeve. And he must know from Lyra's story that there is some precedence for single combat as a valid thing in bear culture from the tale of Yorick and Yoffa. So I guess he's maybe building on some of that. Hmm. Um, the bear is completely still in response, but the people around all laugh until Will turns to face them and their mirth peters out under his perfect calm and composure. Mm. Meanwhile, Balthamus is a blackbird on his shoulder and is well scared. Mm-hmm. Well, well Trembling. scared. Trembling and terrified. Yes. That would be me. Mm-hmm. Will then does speak to the people uh, of the town, basically saying that if the bear gives way, they have to let them refuel and move on without any further fighting. Mm. If they refuse, the bears are just going to destroy their town anyway. Yeah, fair point. So... I've just made a little note here. It's like, why bother having the jewel in the first place? Like, if the townspeople are willing to take this ultimatum from Will, just let them refuel now, without this whole rigmarole. I guess maybe mm. the point is, like, once the humans know that they have the power over the situation, i.e. if Will can defeat the bear, presumably he could defeat all the other bears, so the bears are no longer a threat. But the whole point of this fight is that the people just don't want the bears there full stop. So the fact that Will could or couldn't defeat them doesn't matter. They, yeah, but it, you know t- it I mean? takes it's... the decision out of their hand. It's not them backing down against an enemy that they I don't like. So. It's, 
someone just, else fighting yeah. on their behalf. You know what I mean? It just struck me as weird. I know what you mean. Like but... none of this changes the fact that these people don't want to refuel the bear's boat. Yeah, so, but I guess they see him as being on their side. Maybe. Still odd. It is odd. Because what we're saying, though, is that if I win, these bears don't fuck off. If I win, they come and do the thing you don't want them to do. It's just odd. This kind of struck yeah. me as an interesting standoff between Will and Yurik, but not. it, it doesn't actually do what the townspeople want. Yeah, the bears just... win either way. Yeah, exactly. And the townspeople, I mean, maybe they're just kind of bamboozled by this into being mm. like, okay, I guess we're doing this. But it was slightly weird. Mm. So they discuss amongst themselves, and then eventually one of them does call back that the bear has to agree first, too. So Will swallows hard and turns back uh, to to relay their terms. But the bear roars that this is not possible. It would be shameful to fight something as weak as Will. Indeed, Mm -hmm. he looks like an oyster out of its shell compared to the bear. And Will's reaction kind of implies that he might have been expecting this response, because he immediately agrees, pointing out the bear's armour and his claws... And he asks then for a piece of the bear's uh, a piece of the bear's armor to even out the contest, and gives the example of "give me your helmet, and then they'll be better matched." Yeah. And then, with a load of scorn and obviously derision, the bear tosses his helmet to Will with it clanging to Will's feet. Why do you think the bear does this? Because again, it's also strange. Yeah. Like, why, if if you're so scornful at the idea and enraged at the idea why would you give them your helmet i guess if you if someone insisted and was that stupid about it then yeah maybe maybe they don't want to have to kill the villagers (laughs) yeah and i think that no no i think that's at the heart of the whole thing yeah but why he goes along with this particular bit i mean maybe Mm. giving up part of his armor in some way evens the odds Mm. or at least is like okay well if you're going to be this mad yeah as to insist that this will make a difference yeah. Uh, I've got n- n- I haven't really got much choice here. Mm. So yeah, then uh, silence kind of descends across the town as Will inspects the helmet. And he's barely even able to lift it. So, you know, like a massive piece of metal, so as long as his forearm and as thick as his thumb. But he then says to the bear that it doesn't look very strong. And he's not sure if he can even trust it. Pulling out his knife then, the, the subtle knife. Obviously not, random, just run yeah, yeah. a knife or something. Um, he proceeds to cut the helmet into pieces as easily as if it was cutting through butter. Oh, no. Which is not so good. I'll well, come back to something on that briefly. What on earth are you doing? Um, and he then picks up the handful of fragments that are left, holding them out to the bear, saying, That was your armour. This is my knife. And then there's a bit of text here, which I'm going to skip over. And it ends with, I think we're well matched, which is a badass line. No offence, Pullman, but if you cut out some of the stuff in the middle... That was your armour. This is my knife. I think we're well matched. <laughs> Good line. Just a bit of, you know, free editing there for Pullman. Yeah, just uh. casual rewriting of a little bit of the story. <laughs> and then there's utter stillness. And the bear's black eyes glowed like pitch. And Will felt a drop of sweat trickle down his spine. Because, yes, the bear's pissed off. Yeah. But after, you know, this, this sort of moment of tension, the bear shakes his head saying that this is too strong a weapon. I can't fight that. Boy, you win. But before the bear (laughs) has even said the word win, Mm. Will turns to the townspeople and immediately starts talking. Yeah. Because he wants to cut them off from celebrating. He wants to be like, don't celebrate yet. He doesn't say that. But he's like, don't even start making any noise now that you know that you've won. Yeah. Now, before we jump onto that, though... Yeah, I was about to say, let's go back. So, he cuts up the helmet. Oh. Piece of the soul. Oh, no? so rude. So rude. I just put so rude 72 times in mm. my notes. 
Now, does, Will doesn't know this, though, does he? No, he does. What, the, he the would bear's armor know is like that so, from Lyra's story. Maybe. Surely. We don't know that he knows. We can't, we can't be 100% he sure know. he knows. He would know. But also, what does that mean? Does that cause your severe pain? I don't know. Does it? It's really, really disrespectful at best and emo- emotionally brutal mm. in some way or physically brutal mm-hmm. in some way at worst. But kind of, I guess the whole point of this is that it's completely necessary. There isn't another way for Will to make Yorick see, to see that Will is dangerous, or for the townspeople to have a good reason that, you know, that Will is able to overcome him. You don't need to cut up the whole thing. No, could have just cut it in half or done something. But, you know, like, it's more impressive to be like, boosh, your helmet is glitterfied. I also don't really, I also don't really quite understand how the townspeople wait until the bear says that Will wins to even start thinking about having a reaction. If you saw someone cut up a helmet like that, you'd be like, we've won! <laughs> no, no, no. So, so this is the other bit. Frankly, who gives a shit? Mm-hmm. Like, how long is the knife? Ten inches at most? No, I think it's more like eight, eight? inches? Seven like, inches? Yurik could just charge it, Will, bite his head off. Yeah. It's this, not this is a threat. Thing. It makes no sense that this it doesn't. Would... It doesn't make any no. sense. No, because he can still fight better than any human and perceive any blow that human was about to make. Will can't faint, he can't pretend, he can't lie, he's not even a practice. Yorick would still fucking kill him. Instantly. But maybe part of this hmm. is like Yorick being like, okay, yeah, sure, you have won. (laughs) Oh no, you have defeated me. (laughs) Oh no. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Unless... Yorick immediately asking him, what are you, initially, is that he isn't really sure, is Mm -hmm. Will human, is he not? And then he sees this immensely powerful display from this weapon. Yeah. Maybe the knife holds other powers too. Mm. Fuck fighting that thing. Yeah. It might elongate at any moment into a massive sword, or burst into flame, (laughs) or shoot me with a laser gun. You know. Maybe he's really good at fainting and I won't see. Yes. Mm. So I don't know. There, There are a few different interpretations, but my first reading through this was like, Who's a shit? You cut off my helmet. All you like, I'll just hit you with a paw. <laughs> and you're, you're gone. Out. Yeah. But yeah, anyway, as you say, Will turns to the townspeople and kind of quashes their yeah. excitement before they can even begin. Yeah, so Will makes them keep their promise to let the bears refuel immediately before they start celebrating. And he waits as his words are translated and relayed around, knowing this delay in understanding would work to his advantage. And I love this quote here. Quote, the delay would prevent their relief and anger from bursting out as a net of sandbanks baffles and breaks up the flow of a river. Mm. So good. Very good. So good. Yeah. And you can, exactly you can imagine that. exactly yeah. this process happening in a crowd of people. Yeah. Where translation takes ages. No one can have a big realisation all at once. There isn't some outpouring yeah. of emotion because it percolates. And now an analogy that I might make is if you see a kid about to have a tantrum or about to cry about something mm. and someone distracts them at the right moment and they're mm. like, oh, uh, I don't really know how to feel. Yeah, no, that is quite a nice flower. Okay, yeah, no, ah, oh, that is quite funny. You know, that you, how you yeah, can yeah. just like, if you distract someone mm-hmm. at exactly the right moment, then it can really, really change their reaction to something. Yep. So the bear watches all of this and understands what Will is doing. We even learn from the narrator that but the bear understands more fully even than Will what he's doing in this moment. Mm. So now everyone else is busy and setting to work. The bear and Will catch each other's eye and then they approach each other to talk. And several people start crowding around Will, curious about him and his power to control the bear. But Will uses his magic inconspicuous power and their curiosity is just 
deflected. Mm. It's amazing how powerful this is. I don't it's quite ridiculous. believe that any normal kind of behavior could be this strong after no. this amazing thing has just no. happened and is like, no, I'm not the will you're looking for. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, okay, yeah, bye. Yeah. And Pullman actually describes it as magic here, but then immediately clarifies saying that it isn't really just a way of behaving. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. It's mm. either magic or it's very implausible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it he, is interesting. Like, I, yeah. Mm. Because it is so implausible that this is just behavioural. Yeah. But I guess maybe the point, a bit like how Coulter and Azrael and Lyra are kind of truly exceptional humans in their ability to command stuff or get things done. This must just be a superhuman level of behavioural rather than magical power. Mm. But it, yeah, I don't know. This bit bugs me because I'm just like, oh, come on. You can't make yourself so boring that after you've literally, I don't know, whatever, landed off of a jump, jumping off a skyscraper and you just land on your feet. No one's going to watch that and go, oh, no, this person's no, really no, dull. No, you are quite boring. No, the event <laughs> itself is the amazing thing. Like, however boring the person may appear, you're not just going to forget that. Yeah. Anyway. I mean, the description we have here is, quote, he made himself quiet and dull-eyed and slow, and in under a minute he became less interesting, less attractive to human attention. The people simply became bored with the dull child and mm. forgot him and turned away. There is an element there of mastery of dust, question mark, because he makes himself less... Uh, interesting to human attention which is like created by dust and you know once you've had your once you've been specked you lose curiosity you lose the dust so i wonder if there's there's a kind of angle here that will can basically control dust or control the extent to which it affects oh i really like that Mm, thanks on a complete side (laughs) note when for various reasons relatively recently but partly when i well, yeah, anyway, I'm not going to go into that because it's a bit spoilery. But recently, when I was walking around London, I was trying to, like, channel Will and be like, be uninteresting. Try it. Wow. Like, not right. to be noticed. Make <laughs> make attention. Slide off me. Did that work? I don't know. It's very difficult to tell. But it was pretty fun. <laughs> it, was, it, was quite, it was quite a fun thing to try and do. I can only imagine how much you were just slouching along. And like, <laughs> everyone might have been looking at you like, God, why is she so miserable? <laughs> You know, like, um, I don't know if you've seen The Emperor's New Groove, and there's that character who's, like, going along and singing his own, like, spy theme tune and, like, right. hiding really obviously behind pillars and stuff. That's mm-hmm. probably pretty much what I was doing, and everyone else was like, who is that person? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, but the bear isn't human, mm. so doesn't fall for Will's tricks here. Mm-hmm. And notes, again, this amazing power of this boy. Mm-hmm. And the bear comes up to Will, speaking quietly to him, and asks him his name. Will sell- tells him, I'm Will. And asks him if he can make another helmet, which he confirms. Phew! Yeah, good. Yeah. Very good job. Yeah. The bear asks Will what he's after. And Will asks if he, can, if he can come with him and the other bears upriver, as he wants to get to the mountains as quickly as possible through the Gobi Desert. Mm-hmm. Uh, the bear agrees to take him, but wants to see the knife. Will is quite clear that he'd only show the knife to a bear he can trust. He knows of one, a king called Yorick Burnison, who is a good friend to the girl he is going into the mountains to find, called Lyra Silvertongue. And then we get this great moment. I am Yorick Burnison, said the bear. I know you are, said Will. Kind of, kind everyone, of a everyone, cheesy moment. Everyone else is like, we all knew to, like, literally four or five pages ago, guys. It's like, a big bear appears. Yorick! It's Yorick! Look how Yorick he is. 
it's so cheesy but of course this is Yorick it had to be yeah. I sort of love that we get this like this moment between the two of them mm-hmm. I'm so excitable so whilst the boat takes on fuel and the townspeople are distracted by haggling on price and generally tidying up their ruined town Yorick and Will board the ship together ready to continue on their journey towards the mountains and towards Lyra and what a duo these two will be. I am so excited for this new pairing of Yorick and Will. I feel like they're pretty well suited. They might be a bit too similar in a Mm. lot of ways. Mm. Um, Shit's going to happen now, though. Shit's going to happen. This isn't just Will ambling around with a couple of angels. No. Like, shit's on the move. And I have an exciting revelation. Oh, yeah. Next chapter. Mm. We're actually staying with Yorick and Will, oh which is the first God. time that we've stayed with the same characters is it really? from one chapter to the next. Brilliant. Yeah. So oh, yeah. our summary will actually be relevant next time. Mm. So that's something to look forward to. <laughs> and of course, Balthamos is still here. He's kind of been in the background blending hey, in, there. doing a good job, though. Still blending because, in. <laughs> because we've not actually noticed him. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see what dynamic he adds there. Presumably yes. he's still going to stay on the down low. Mm-hmm. This is also the first chapter that ends without a because he's Will. <laughs> Italicized Lyra Roger. No, Roger italics. Chat. Mm-hmm. What does this mean for Lyra? Is she awake? Is, is she, she just dead? no longer dreaming? Awake? She's dreaming, dead, dead now. Asleep? She's dead. Asleep? Awake? <laughs> Who knows? Well, I think that brings us to the end of this episode of the Dark Material Podcast. Thanks for joining us. If you're not ready to step back into your own world yet, please visit our website at thedarkmaterialpodcast.com and our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash darkmaterialpodcast. You can also hit us up on your lodestone resonators through Facebook at The Dark Material Podcast, Twitter at Dark Material Pod, and Instagram at The Dark Material Podcast. If you want to cut through to our world directly with questions or comments, we're also available at thedarkmaterialpodcast at gmail.com. If you're enjoying the Dark Material Podcast, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us. It helps other fans of his Dark Materials find the show. A special thanks to Jamie Absurd at Karma Roulette on Instagram and Claire Wicks at Claire underscore Wicks on Twitter for the music on the Dark Material Podcast. We'll see you next time for Chapter 9, Upriver. And until then, don't forget to tell them stories.